just to kind of establish our thoughts today in the Word of God as we talk about Islam. I'd like to read to you from chapter 3, verse 13 of First Peter. This is a, a letter about um, living in a in a world that wants to hurt you for following Christ. But notice what First Peter says. And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their fear. And do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and fear. I don't know if you noticed that, but Peter tells you in the same section to fear without fearing, or to not be afraid while fearing. That is because your fear is rooted in the fear of God, and that leads you to be fearless before others, and that leads you to be gentle before others, and that leads you to be bold before others. Do we have an accident? Is it, as long as it's just water, I'm fine. The whole entire youth group left while I was reading First Peter, so I was just wondering, like, was it was it a multi-student accident? Or was it a, uh, I have no idea. Okay, all right. Anyway, um, it we'll just continue on, I guess, while you guys are awkwardly standing there. Uh, <laughs> you can you can put your feet on water; it won't cause deep rot. Um, <clears throat> It will injure the carpet, though. Thank you for ta- taking care of that carpet during that. Thank you. I love you. All right, so <laughs> it's hard to imagine. It's hard to imagine, but there was actually a time when Islam was not the dominant religion in the Middle East and North Africa and Asia. It's, it's, it blows my mind to think, but there was actually a time when the dominant religions in North Africa and in the Middle East were Christianity, Judaism, and an ancient Arab form of paganism. No. But, what? I said no. No, okay, I was like, I thought you were disagreeing with me. And I was no. like, let's fight. <laughs> All right, no, it's crazy to think about, right? When, before Islam, Christianity was the common religion in that part of the world. Uh, today, that's clearly not the case. Clearly not the case. According to a, an amazing website that tracks the progress of the missionary task ahead of, ahead of us, it's uh, joshuaproject.org. You should look at it and just see. You can see a breakdown of the world religions in an area or in a country. But according to that website, 92.2% of the total population in Saudi Arabia today is Muslim. The next closest religion is Christianity uh, but that is due to uh, 72,000 U.S. Americans that currently live in there. If you are Arab at all in Saudi Arabia, you are Muslim. The entire Middle East, North Africa, and Turkey is dominated today by the religion of Islam. According to a 2020 poll, one-fifth of the world's total population is Muslim. That's 1.3 billion people worldwide, and that was three years ago. Um, one billion of those Muslims are found in the Middle East as well. It is the second largest religion in the world, and it is also the youngest major world religion in the world. It is growing fast. In fact, between 1900 and 2000, a 100-year span, um, 
Islam has grown exceedingly. It went from 12% of the total world population in the 1900s, uh, 1900 to 21% of the world's population in 2020. Islam is growing fast. But where did Islam come from? Uh, what do they practice? Why do they practice what they practice? What do they believe? And then the big question that I want to answer this morning is, are Muslims really wrong? There's so many of them, and they're so sincere, and they're devoted. Actually, if you get to know um, any Muslims, you will quickly learn to respect them. The majority of Muslims are respectable. Should I really seek to share the gospel with a Muslim that I know? Should I send missionaries to seek to convert Muslims to Christianity? Are they really wrong? I'm going to try to answer that question, but first let me, let me try to let me try to help you understand there's many misconceptions about Islam and Muslims, and I'm sure you probably have them as well, but the first one that we have to talk about before we can ever begin talking about a world religion like Islam is not all Muslims are the same. Repeat that back to me. Not all Muslims are the same. They're very different. Um, not all of them, not all of them are trying to kill you. Not all of them believe in radical jihad like that. Um, matter of fact, it would be similar to having one of them come and say, I don't believe in Christianity because all of you guys are these crazy charismatics who run around crazy and screaming your head off. That's why I don't believe in Christianity. You'd be, you'd be horribly offended by that. You, you wouldn't want somebody to misrepresent you by lumping you into one big group. And that is what we need to be careful to, to do when we are, or not to do when we're talking about uh, Muslims. We need, to be, we need to be quick to listen to individual Muslims to see what exactly they believe um, before we tell them what they believe. Otherwise, they're never going to listen to you about what you believe and what you believe they should believe. Does that make sense? We, you, need to, you need to start out by learning about Islam, and you need to realize that there are lots of different forms of it. But there's, there's, general, there's general groups, and I'm going to try to cover the, the most global um, beliefs of the, of the most central um, Muslim group, and that's the Sunni view of Islam. And just so you know, I, I really uh, worked hard to understand their, um, their worldview and their religion. These are some books that I looked up. Uh, just, just so you know, uh, the... What Every Christian Needs to Know About the Quran by James White is quite a heavy read because you have to read the Quran in it, but it's very helpful and I got a very important argument from it um, and that's on uh, Islam's teaching on the Trinity. Um, but just, just some helpful resources if you're ever interested in these things. The Field Guide to False Teaching up there in the upper left-hand corner, that's a really accessible book. It talks about all sorts of religions and false forms of Christianity. I've, I've dipped into it a lot, talking about JWs and a lot, talking about Mormons, and it's really helpful with Islam as well. That's a really accessible guide for you as a student if you ever want to learn about these things. Also, the website Karm, I've referenced it a multi multiple times. Um, that is a, it's a very helpful website on all sorts of apologetic issues, and I get lots of quotes. And then, by far, my favorite um, history book on the uh, early church and church history is 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. That's by Nick Needham, and I really have appreciated that in understanding like, the background of Islam and all sorts of things. If you're ever interested in history, church history, I would recommend that resource. There's a lot that it goes through, but it's really helpful as well, but let's let's answer a question. Um, Islam, of course, is is growing even here in the United States. But are 
Are all Muslims wrong in some way or form? Let's just talk about Islam in the United States. There are lots of famous um, Muslims in our, in our world today, and you probably recognize some of them. There's, of course, King Abdullah of Jordan. He's a Muslim, believe it or not. There's King Salman of Saudi Arabia. But then we have a lot of people that are influential in our side of the world. Oops, I didn't. Did the battery die? There, there he is. There he is. Uh, Saudi Arabia, King Solomon. And then, of course, there is the Minnesota state representative. Um, man, am I? I think my... I think it just... <laughs> am I making the computer die? Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, you'll just have to click ahead for me then. Um, you all know her name, right? Uh, Ilhan Omar, she's from Minnesota, she's a representative. Also, Rashida Talib. we don't have a picture of her either, unless Tony can quickly just click ahead. Does it not click forward? No, it's, it's not showing up. All right. All right, well, never mind. You guys are going to go without visuals today, I guess. I was so prepared, so prepared, anyway. Um, but some um, Muslims, perhaps, that you do not know about, thank you, um, Dr. Oz, and you thought it was only the Democrats that were Muslims. Um, um, Andrew Tate, he just recently professed belief in uh, Muhammad and Allah. He's, of course, a controversial character that I do not like. Uh, Muhammad Ali, the name was a giveaway, perhaps. Uh, Mike Tyson, another boxer. Uh, Kareem uh, Abdul-Jabbar, basketball player. Shaquille O'Neal at one point. Claim to be a Muslim. I don't know if that's still true. Hakeem Olajuwon, a basketball player from my days. He was a very faithful uh, Muslim. And then, of course, Robert Sala, if any of you are, are fans of the New York Jets. He is the head coach, the first uh, Muslim head coach. Um, and maybe not all of these are practicing Muslims, but it, it is clear that in the last 20 years, in America even, Islam has become more mainstream, more normal, more acceptable. Uh, But what exactly do Muslims believe? So let's just talk for a few minutes about what exactly Muslims believe. Once again, a general statement here. We we can't speak for all of them exactly, but we can speak for, for them mostly in broad terms. Islam, contrary to popular belief, does not mean peace. It's, it's not, it's, it's, that is not what the word means. And sometimes you'll hear people say, well, Islam, of course, means peace. But it doesn't mean peace. It actually means submission. It means submission. Uh, a Muslim is someone who wants to be, who is very sincere. A true Muslim is sincerely desiring to be submitted to God. They want to please God by being submitted under him. They are actively submitting their whole life. And Islam is perhaps attractive to many people because, because it's so practical. Uh, Islam um, will shape every area of your life. You want to know what hand to eat with? Islam will tell you. You want to know how far you can walk on a certain day? Islam will tell you. Islam will tell you everything. Islam will shape your culture around you, and that will give you uh, great help if you like black and white things like that. So sometimes people love Islam for that reason. It's so clear about what I can do. There's no, there's no gray areas, right? Um, matter of fact, Muslims probably judge Christianity by the culture that we live in because they're so uh, saturated in this concept that your religion will shape your culture. They see us through our culture and they say, that's Western Christianity, that is paganism. 
that is outright paganism. But traditionally, uh, Muslims have a few basic beliefs. Let's talk about them as the computer continues to freeze. Um, number one, they are strict monotheists. They are strict monotheists. That means they believe in only one God. Only one God. Matter of fact, to become a Muslim, you have to recite something called the Shahada in Arabic. You have to recite this prayer to God in Arabic, and it says this, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is the prophet of Allah. You have to say that in Arabic. You can go online to YouTube, and they'll teach you how to say it, if you want to say it in the quiet of your room, I suppose. But that is, that is one of their basic beliefs. Matter of fact, it dominates their belief. There is only one God. And then secondly, um, they hold that Muhammad is the final and the preeminent the, the completion, the, the final prophet of God. He is the best prophet of God. Lots of, interesting, uh, lots of, of uh, there are lots of prophets that um, Islam believes in. For example, they believe that Noah was a prophet, Abraham was a prophet, Moses was a prophet, David was a prophet. They even believe that Jesus was a prophet. They believe in a gospel of Jesus, of course, but they believe that Muhammad is the final one, the best one, the one that kind of supersedes all the other prophets. They believe that Islam is the oldest religion because it had prophets preaching Islam from the very beginning. They believe in, they're monotheists, they believe that Muhammad is a prophet. Third, they believe in the supernatural, or you could say they believe in angels. They believe in both, that God made both good and evil angels. They call angels jinn. Matter of fact, jinn, you can probably hear that word. It, it is used uh, to, in the English form to refer to genie, and genie comes from the ancient uh, um, beliefs of the Islamic faith as well. Um, but every every good uh, Muslim, there's exceptions of course, but every good Muslim actually has a high regard and a, and a deep concern for the supernatural. They believe in angels. Uh, fourth, they hold the Quran as the final and full and perfect revelation from God. They hold that. And just to, just to break down what the Quran is, it really is just a series of revelations. It contains 114 chapters, also known as Surahs, if I'm understanding that word right, it contains various revelations that Muhammad the prophet received from Allah. And they're organized not in chronological form, where, when he received them, but more by length. So similar to the way our New Testament is organized, you know, you do the longest books first, that's kind of how they, they organize the revelations of Muhammad. We're going to put the longest ones first and slowly get shorter and shorter. And the whole Quran is about the length of the New Testament. Once again, another interesting thing about the Quran is they believe that it is God's eternal word that he revealed to Muhammad. Gabriel, the angel, came down and dictated the eternal word that was in heaven with God. The Quran eternally existed with God in heaven, and the angel Gabriel came down and dictated it word for word, vision by vision, to Muhammad at various times in his life. Uh, Muhammad didn't write it. It didn't come from his mind. Matter of fact, he claims, and it seems as though he, he, he heard words, and it seems as though words came into his mind, but he did not think them up himself. He received a total of, like I said, 114 visions, um, and he claimed that this was the one and only miracle that he ever performed as a prophet of God. He never did any miracles besides receiving the Quran. And, and one more thing, by the way, uh, I'm, I'm, has anybody ever read the Quran? Okay, 
harder question, because I haven't even. Uh, has anybody ever read a piece of the Quran? Okay. You haven't. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Have you read it in Arabic? No. Exactly. So if you have not read the Quran in Arabic, you actually haven't read it yet, they would say you've just read a interpretation of the Quran. The true Quran is only read in Arabic. Were you going to ask a question? I was going to ask, what does Quran mean? Um, Quran means... I'm not sure. That's a good question. I'll come back to you on that. And that would be a really simple question. Of all the questions I asked myself this week, that wasn't one of them. Uh, I don't know. I'll get back to you real quick. Um, finally, they believe in the day of judgment. All good Muslims live in fear of a final day of judgment. And that leads to uh, Muslims practicing all sorts of things to seek to please God into accepting them and showing them mercy on the final day of judgment. There, maybe you've heard of this. There's called five pillars of Islam. These are the five practices that you should do if you want to be a good Muslim and please Allah. You must pray the Shahada, as I've already talked about. You must initially declare that there's no God but Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And then you have to, for the rest of your life, pray five times a day facing Mecca. And perhaps you've seen movies where everything stops and people get down on their rugs and they pray because it is five times a day. You must also give alms uh, to the poor or the needy around you. Matter of fact, um, Islam prescribes one fortieth of your income to go to help others or to um, help others help others. You must keep something called Ramadan, which is a month-long fast that, that shifts because they follow a, the lunar calendar, I believe, but is usually roughly in September. But during Ramadan, you cannot eat, drink, have sexual activity, do any, any form like that during Ramadan. You, no smoking, no drinking, and no eating. And you can't even drink water. And here's an interesting question, because I mentioned already, what does someone do if they're like, say, an athlete in the middle of Ramadan? They just keep playing through it until the sun sets, and then they can drink and do whatever they want. But as long as the sun isn't set, they don't even drink water during Ramadan. Hakeem Olajuwon, like I said, actually fasted during significant basketball games in 1995, and it was an incredible performance. He actually said it helped him play better, but that's up to interpretation. You must keep Ramadan, which is for a whole month. You must be able, if you're financially and physically able, that uh, is to make a pilgrimage to Mecca and perform rituals along the way, like walking counterclockwise around the sacred rock, the Kaaba, seven times just to kind of follow a pattern set by Muhammad. And then also there's another disputed one. You must perform some form of jihad, which is a word that refers to struggle. And some people say um, this isn't a pillar, but it seems to be suggested in the earliest writings of Islam, and it means struggle, of course, and, and, but some people interpret it different. Some people say it's a, it's a struggle to obey Allah with all of your heart, to submit yourself to him. Other people say it's a struggle to spread Islam around the world and uh, to be in conflict with those who oppose it. Um, either way, you must in some way be sincere and devoted and passionate for your God and for the spread of his honor. Uh, how, do, how does Islam compare with Christianity? Real quick, um, I had a beautiful slide comparing them, but I'll just talk you through them. Here, here are the, the, way, the things in which Islam agrees with Christianity. You may be listening to it and say, hey, some of this sounds a lot like what, what I'm called to do as a Christian. Some of it, some of it. Um, but that's because they believe a lot of the same things. They believe, for example, in creation. 
They believe in angels like we talked about. They believe in heaven and hell. They, they believe in the resurrection of all people, not just the good people, but all people. Remember last week we talked about JWs only believe in a resurrection for the good people and an annihilation of the bad people? No, Islam is actually very serious. They, they believe, like we do, in a certain eternal destination of all people. You're going to either end up in heaven, which is paradise, to the Muslim, or you're going to end up in hell, separated from God under his judgment. They believe that everybody is going to end up in one or two places. And also, they believe in Jesus. They actually believe in Jesus. They believe that there was a gospel about Jesus written. Now, they believe it was corrupted, and it's beyond recognition today, but they believe in Jesus. Once again, they see him as a prophet. They believe in the virgin birth. They actually believe that he was physically ascended into heaven. They believe even that he was sinless. And they believe in some form in his second coming. But that leads us to what they disagree in, about uh, with Christianity about. First off, they do not ever dare say that God is a father. God is not a father. God is not personal. He, is, he, is no, he has no essence at all, or he is not a person. He is just solely divine will. He wills to do something. And you never would consider God to be your father. They do not believe in the Trinity. That is an abomination to a Muslim. If you want to stop a conversation with a Muslim real quick, you either refer to God as your father or you say the Trinity, and they will get instantly mad, and they will say, do not say three. There are not three gods, because they believe that the Trinity is three gods. They do not believe in the doctrine of original sin. They believe that man is made sinful by his actions. It's disobedience to Allah that condemns you before Allah. It's not your nature. Um, They do not believe that the nation of Israel is God's chosen people. They do not believe that the promises given to Abraham go through Isaac, but rather they believe that the promises of Abraham go through Ishmael. And that's actually where the history of Islam starts. They believe that Abraham almost offered Ishmael up on Mount Moriah, not Isaac. And the promises are to the Arab nation, not to Israel. And of course, they do not, and they deny the deity of Christ. Another good way to stop a conversation with a Muslim really quick is to say the Son of God, or Jesus is God. They, they believe him to be only a good forerunner, a perfect forerunner, yes. Sinless, virgin born, born yes. A miracle worker, yes but only a prophet, only a man, and only the second greatest prophet of all time. He is not the Son of God become flesh once again. They would say, no, this is wrong. This believes in a plurality of God, which is God's, which is idolatry. They believe that the Trinity, once again, makes God three, which is bad, uh, which is wrong. There are not three gods, but one. Once again, remember, they are their their biggest thing is they are monotheists. They believe in one God, one God only, and anything that suggests a multiple God scenario is abhorrent to them. I could also add this. They, they believe in a very fatalistic view of the will of God. They believe God's will determines everything. But they don't believe that there, it doesn't seem as though that they believe that there are kind of different ways that God relates. It, it seems as though evil comes directly from God. And just like good comes directly from God. There was this story that a missionary was telling about how Muslims were, uh, their whole, a, whole, a whole neighborhood started on fire, and all the Muslims did was just stand back and pray to God, saying, your will be done, your will be done. It's the Christians that come and say, hey, let's try to, let's try to stop the fire. No, Muslims are just saying, well, if my house burns down, my house burns down. It is the will of Allah. That's what they do. They're fatalistic. 
And it actually really affects their culture in a very negative way. But where did Islam come from? Where did Islam come from? Let me talk to you really quick, just to give you a little history of the religion of Islam so you can understand a little bit about the background. Now, talked really fast, but let me just pause here to suggest to you that understanding the background of Islam will actually really help you understand what they believe and why they believe it. And actually, it will help you maybe um, have an answer to what they believe and why they believe it. Where, where did Islam come from? Well, like I said, it started with Ishmael, not Isaac. But then, a lot of years passed. Christianity became a very dominant religion in the Middle East. But then, in, seven, or sorry, in 570 AD, maybe 571, people don't know, Muhammad was born in Mecca, which is in Saudi Arabia, of course. He lived in poverty as an orphan for a long time. He was adopted by his grandfather for a while, but then ultimately was adopted by his uncle, a man named Abu Talib. You'll, you'll find a lot of names remind you of the, the movie Aladdin. Um, uh, and his uncle was a traveling merchant, so his uncle went all around Saudi Arabia, uh, witnessed lots of things, and Muhammad soon um, took up his uncle's trade and traveled with him throughout the ancient world. And now let me just say something here. Uh, that means that Muhammad interacted with all of those forms of Christianity that were spread all around the Middle East. Muhammad heard about them. Muhammad uh, interacted with Judaism. Muhammad interacted with that ancient Arabic paganism, which was just idolatry at the time. And matter of fact, many Arabs in Muhammad's day had a strong distaste for um, kind of polytheism, believing in all sorts of idols. They, they preferred monotheism. They really did. And of course, uh, Muhammad took up this view as well. He, he was, though, surrounded by a lot of what I would call false forms of Christianity. Popular in his day was a view of Christianity called Nestorianism. It taught that Jesus wasn't really uh, who we think he was. Um, he was. He wasn't a fully human member of the Trinity, but he was, he was really, there was really two people. Hum, the human Jesus died on the cross, but the second person of the Trinity didn't die on the cross. And there was also a false form of Christianity, I believe, if I'm reading my history right, called Arianism, that was like what the Jehovah's Witnesses are today. They believe that the second member of the Trinity was a created member of the Trinity, an exalted angel above all creation, but not actually God eternal. And of course, this view of Arianism was debunked by church councils, but it was very popular with the people. It was very popular. So perhaps those were all the forms uh, that, that Muhammad was hearing, that Jesus was just a human, not really God or that Jesus was just a created being. Um, it, would, it would be similar to, say, somebody coming to America because they want to learn about Christianity, but the only Christians they talk to are, you know, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. You're going to be like, you're not understanding true Christianity, or you're, you're, you're believing that this is Christianity and it's wrong. So that was uh, Muhammad's early life, but... Then in 595, so 570 he was born, 25 years later in 595, he enters the service of a wealthy widow named Khadija, and she marries him. 
now she was 40, he was 25, sure it wasn't weird, um, and they enjoyed, inst- he enjoyed instant wealth with her, they also had um, many kids, uh, two boys and four girls, and he began to enjoy a quiet life of religious contemplation, once again he was very interested in these things. One more thing, Khadija was an Ibionite Christian which is another false form of Christianity. She believed Jesus wasn't God, but just a sinless prophet who perfectly obeyed God. He became the Son of God at his baptism, but he wasn't. He was just a prophet. And this was, of course, a Jewish sect. And that was his wife, Khadijah. And this began about 15 years of religious contemplation in between 595 and 610. Muhammad would continue his travels as a merchant and continue contemplating religion and soon hold to a form of monotheism, although he didn't really know what it meant. And he would soon learn to abhor and detest the idolatry that was particularly uh, prominent in his hometown, which was Mecca. And there was a day in 610, here's another important date, 610 when, during a particularly uh, annoying pagan festival, Muhammad ran away to a cave in a mountain, and it was at this time in 610 that he received his first revelation from Allah through angel, uh, the angel Gabriel. And at first, this is interesting, at first Muhammad believed that it was a demon trying to deceive him. And he came down from the mountain and told his wife, Khadija, about what happened to him, and she insisted that he accept it. And do you want to know what her reason was for why Muhammad should accept this revelation from God? She said, God would not allow such a good man to be deceived. That was it. And from there, uh, Muhammad began to listen to revelation after revelation. The first converts of Islam were, of course, his wife, his young cousin, Ali, uh, glorious he, and then Abu, another guy, and then Othman, another son-in-law. And for the next 12 years or so, he continued to share his revelation and condemn the idolatry of Mecca. But but once again, it was a, a Muslim faith that he was proclaiming. He was proclaiming, there is no God but Allah, and I am his only prophet. You better listen to me. The problem was, in Mecca, he made lots of powerful enemies. And soon, he had to flee Mecca because the persecution was mounting. And that's the next date you need to remember. 622, Muhammad and his followers flee to a city north of them called Medina. This city, of course, received them. Muhammad was able to take political power in Medina and kind of kind of control and remove all of the warring tribes and bring incredible unity. And over the next eight years or so, the city of Medina under Muhammad began to war against the city of Mecca more and more and more. And by the way, 622 date, it is a very significant date in the nation and the worship and, and in the religion of Islam. It is similar to the Exodus for the Jews or for Jesus' incarnation for Christians. It marks year one, day one of the Muslim calendar. So that, that's, that's very significant. When Muhammad went to Medina, that's when the real Muslim religion took off in their minds. Of course, then there was fighting throughout. And then finally, in 630, Muhammad gained enough political power after many battles to bring 10,000 Muslim warriors down to Mecca and destroy 
all the idols and take control of the kebab, which is the holiest site in Islam. Maybe you've seen a picture of like this black box, this huge black box with all of these people circling it. What they're doing is this is this is part of the pilgrimage to Mecca, right? You have to you have to follow uh, Muhammad in his uh, original counterclockwise cleanse of all of the idols of Mecca, and so you, as a convert, do that counterclockwise turn like he did all those years ago. And so, if you've if you've ever seen a picture, you'll understand. Actually, originally, it's interesting. The original holiest site of Islam was considered Jerusalem. Matter of fact, several old mosques actually point to Jerusalem, not Mecca. But then things changed when the Jews refused to accept Muhammad as the prophet. And then Muhammad, of course, returned to Mecca being the holiest site. But that is disputed. He conquered it eventually. In 632, he dies at 62 years of age. And the Arab world, for the most part, is incredibly united under Islam. In just 22 years after receiving his first revelation, he had a remarkable unifying effect on the Arab world. Of course, Muhammad died, and he left no successive, uh, succession plan. And, of course, fighting broke out among Muslims because they were fighting over who should follow, and that's where the, the Shiite-Sunni um, kind of debate comes from. And there was also massive military conquest in the Middle East. Between 632 and 732, the Islamic faith took over the Middle East Asia, Turkey, North Africa, and almost entered Europe had it not been for Charles Martel in the Battle of Tours in France. And then, of course, in 1099, the Crusades came, and they fought against the Muslims, and then the Muslims took back Jerusalem. There'd be eventually six Crusades, including a catastrophe of a crusade called the Children's Crusade. They never even made it, but they tried. And, and that's kind of the where Islam came from. And there's just a few results of all of that history that I want to point out to you. Once again, Islam is a dominant faith in our world. You know, sword evangelism does that. Do you want to die? No. All right, I'll become a Muslim. But in the last century, it's grown really fast. But there also, you need to recognize, especially when you think about the Crusades, there is an innate um, there is an intense animosity, particularly between Middle Eastern Muslims and the Western form of Christianity that they view as coming against them, right? They understand us as crusaders coming to destroy them. Uh, but this is also based on a misunderstanding of our faith. But, but we're also misunderstanding them as well, right? We're, we're, we're choosing to confront Islam like a political problem rather than a spiritual problem where Christians should be bold in their profession of faith and have no fear but have a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what, how Christians should approach the problem of Islam. It's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem. And, and also we should, we should remember that Muslims are very sincere people. They want to be submitted to God. And they will respect you if you prove yourself to be submitted to God as well. Matter of fact, honesty with a Muslim will go a lot farther than trying to fool them. There are lots of, and we can debate this another day, but there's an interesting missionary movement out there saying we need to, you know, be secret missionaries, and there's a reason for that. But in some places, some places, it might not be necessary. It might even be counterproductive. For example, Dr. William Barrick from TMS, he was a missionary in Bangladesh for a while, 
maybe not as dangerous as Saudi Arabia, but he tells this story about how he was at the customs desk and they were asking him what his purpose was for being there. And, and some other missionaries in that area had been saying that they were there on business. But Barak said, well, I'm here to instruct people about Jesus Christ and I'm here to translate the Bible into your language. And, and the man looked at him and was kind of surprised and he said, you are a very honest man. And, 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 and Barak was like, you knew that? And he was like, yeah, of course I knew who you were. I knew why you were here. And, and, and Barak's like, how did you know that? He's like, well, it says here on your passport that you're a missionary. He's like, where does it say that on my passport? And then he showed him. And then later, uh, Dr. Barak is talking to one of his missionary friends who is there on business. And he's like, can I see your passport? And the guy's like, sure. And he's like, and there it was. You know, in all the lettering of the passport, apparently, in Bangladesh at least, there was a small M written on the visa of anyone that was there as a missionary. They know who you are, and they won't respect you if you try to be sneaky about it. They will reject you if you try to lie to them, to deceive them. But if you're consistent and you sincerely want to honor God, they will respect that. But that brings us to our original question. Are they really wrong? Are they really wrong? wrong should we seek to evangelize muslims and i and i once again would say yes they are in need of the forgiveness of jesus christ a sincere muslim i would argue to you is desperate to hear the good news of the gospel they just don't know it yet but what they want is to know full and free assurance of forgiveness of sin and that's what we can provide for them in the gospel a missionary is someone who, who brings incredible good news that you do not have to work and work and work and hope that Allah will receive you, but you can have assurance in Christ Jesus that he will. But, there are, but before we get to the gospel, real quick, there, there, there are a few good reasons, good apologetic reasons for why Muslims are wrong. You, you, could, you could say all sorts of things. You could talk about the reliability of the Quran and the transmission history. There are some questions there. You could, you could ask a few questions about how the Old Testament and the New Testament was corrupted. Are, are they trying to suggest to you that the, the, the Jewish uh, Jews and Christians came together after the time of Allah when they're totally angry at each other after the time of Muhammad and Jews and Christians don't like each other, but they united under a common enemy against the Muslims and they changed all of the manuscripts. Is that what they're trying to say? Because that's a very hard argument for me to believe. You could also, you could also ask if Islam is a religion that ultimately leads people to violence. Now, that could be argued. I'm not saying we should assume that of them, but I'm saying there's an argument to be made that it ultimately leads people to violence. But that wouldn't be the argument that I would actually press if I was to argue, I would actually say, and this is a really interesting one, that uh, the Quran, which claims to be the eternal word of God, perfect in the heaven, disconnected from history, disconnected from human weakness, dictated directly to Muhammad, shouldn't have any hint of human confusion over other religions. It should completely understand them perfectly. It should be able to articulate the position of Christianity and say Christianity's uh, version of the Trinity clearly. If it is the eternal word of God that was forever in the heavens, the Quran should be able to understand at least, at least how the Christians articulate the Trinity. But 
They don't. And this is, I would say, Islam's big problem with the Quran. It, it brings questions to my mind. Was this really dictated to you from God? Or was this just a version of Christianity that you saw around you? And Muhammad wrote. Uh, once again, let me just, I'll just summarize this. The, the Quran rebukes Christians for saying that there are three gods. Do not say three. That's actually not what the Christians believe. We believe in one God and three persons. It's a small thing, maybe you say. But notice also, the Quran rebukes Christians for claiming that Allah is a third of three. Once again, Christians do not believe that. And this is especially interesting. Maybe you're saying, well, that's what Christians in his day were understanding, and that's what the Quran was directly addressing. But notice this, the Quran also rebukes Christians for believing in two other gods besides Allah. Who are those two other gods? Jesus and Mary. I mean, if you're, if, if, if you're going to understand our position, you must at least understand that the Trinity refers to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But they don't. Here, here, here is what the Quran says. Take me, um, what does it say here? Uh, and beware the day when Allah will say, O oh, Jesus, son of Mary, did you say to the people, take me and my mother as deities besides Allah? He will say, exalted are you. It, will, it was not for me to say that to which I have no right, if I had said it, you would have known it. You know what is within myself, and I do not know what is within yourself. Indeed, it is you who is the knower of the unseen. There's, there's another quote too I could read you, but they actually believe that Jesus and Mary are the second and third members of the Trinity. Once again, once again, if it claims to be the divine revelation of God, untouched by human history or any of the confusions or debates of our time, it should at least be able to articulate the form of Christianity that it is debating, but it doesn't seem to understand it as well. And instead, I would, I would propose to you that it is just a reflection of a man's misunderstanding of Christianity based on the context in which he lived. But I would also say that using any of these arguments will probably not help a Muslim. It may help you um, answer him when he speaks to you or she speaks to you, but it will not actually give them the hope that they need in Jesus. The best arguments that we should present to Muslims are the chief concerns of a Muslim, and we should be able to present to them that they can have full assurance of forgiveness of sin in the name of Jesus. We should say to them, you believe in one God, that is good. You declare him to be all-powerful, righteous, and holy, and the Bible declares this reality as well, of course. But you claim to hope in this God's forgiveness of your sin based on what you do and how well you do it. But how much assurance does that give you? Will any amount of good works give you true assurance of salvation before Allah? No. Matter of fact, James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of all. Do you, do you know? Do you know that you have enough good works to uh, make yourself acceptable before God? No, you don't. And even if you ever think you do, are you sure pride has not creeped into your heart? How can you have any assurance before God? You can't. 
But this is where the good news of Jesus comes in because the good news of Jesus gives full assurance of forgiveness of sin and righteousness before God in Jesus' name. No other religion can do that. No other religion can give such spiritual assurance. But the, the Bible gives this assurance to us because of God and his powerful plan and his mercy and his grace to save sinners. Islam just hopes in his will to be merciful. But we hope in the very character of our God, which is abundant in mercy and grace and has planned before the foundation of the world to marvelously save sinners for his glory and not theirs. The Bible, the the good news of the Bible was first believed by Abraham too. Remember, it was said to Abraham and about Abraham in Genesis 15, 6, that he was counted as righteous based on his faith. The the Bible reveals that the mercy and grace of God are always found in faith, not in works. And the Bible reveals that we find mercy and grace in Jesus not when we've done the best we can do, not when we've checked all the boxes off of religion, but while we were still sinners. That's where we find mercy and grace, when we actually confess our intense need for God. What glorious news. Because you're never going to come to God on a day when you're doing well, because he sees all things, knows all things, and every one of your sins will be made bare. But in Christ Jesus, you are made righteous by faith while you are still a sinner. As a matter of fact, in Christ Jesus, we have this glorious truth about divine substitution. Divine satisfaction in Christ Jesus. It is divine action on sinners' behalf. Uh, The Bible declares us all to be dead spiritually. And it also declares that while we were dead spiritually, Jesus came down into our world and lived a full and perfect human life so that he could die a substitutionary death for our sake on the cross. Matter of fact, it says, 1 Peter 2.21, Christ suffered for you. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. Christ came to live a perfect life so that he could bear our iniquity, our wrath. What glorious news. And Christ also came and lived a full, perfect human life so that he could count his righteousness to us. So not only are all of our sins taken on Christ, but all of his righteousness is taken on us. What glorious news. You stand before God with no sin and in Christ's righteousness. That is assurance of salvation based on faith. But you have to come to Christ. And you have to believe that Jesus is more than a prophet. He is the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. Jesus himself says in John 8, 24, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And bless, Unless you believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. We have been saved by grace, through faith, and this not of our own. It's not by works so that any man can boast. And that is why we find such glorious assurance in Jesus Christ. And that is the message of forgiveness that we have, that no one else has. And it is to a lost and dying world of which one-fifth of them believe in Islam. 
Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. And I pray even in these seats that there would be a growing desire and passion to spread this good news to those people who have never heard it. Maybe even in these seats, a future missionary is born. Maybe even in these seats, not a missionary to a foreign world, maybe a missionary to a foreign land, but maybe just someone who is has a heart for the lost around them. I pray that we would be eager to know the people in our lives and eager to help them know you and your son whom you've sent, Jesus Christ. Amen.